Thanks so much for joining me for the Lunch with Legs podcast. This is episode five, featuring a very, very close friend of mine and very accomplished baker, among many other things, the wonderful Allison Cave. She started a pie company, and man, things have just gone uphill from there. Uh, I am going to be giving you a whole slew of links right at the end of the podcast, uh, but just as a warning... You may get hungry listening to this podcast. I'm just warning you. Before we begin, again, if you or anyone you know is interested in sponsoring the Lunch With Legs podcast, shoot us an email, lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. Before I move any farther on, the music that we were just listening to was Something Strange by Dano at danosongs.com. Without further ado, please welcome to the Lunch with Legs podcast, the wonderful Allison Cave. Lunch with Legs. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for coming today. It's lovely to see you. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Of course. Um, so I, so for those of you who are listening who are not here in person, I actually have a an amazing. What is this? The second second pass. The yeah. second pass of Allison's upcoming cookbook entitled First Prize Pies, which is going to be coming out on Pie Day. For those of you who don't know, as I just learned, it's 3.14, mathematically speaking, a.k.a. March 14th. And I am so freaking excited. This cookbook looks amazing. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Understandably. I mean, it's a big deal. I have a lot of friends who are like, I'm writing the Great American Novel, and you fucking went and wrote the Great American Pie Cookbook. (laughs) Holy Moses. It's so beautiful. Thank you. I have to say, I mean, like, just as a point of acknowledgement, I think it's so amazing that we met almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, nine years That's ago insane. this month. That's crazy. In fact, nine years ago, we probably already knew each other. Right. Because it's September. Yeah. Um, and fast forward through your amazing career in the art world to basically running your own pie business and partnering with somebody to create a, a whole pie and dessert and liquor amazing amalgam that's going to take root in Brooklyn hopefully sometime soon ASAP ASAP <laughs> oh my god I think I just I just want to acknowledge that the amazing trajectory your life has taken I mean and for those at home who are listening um, I guess I just want to say where did this all begin oh man okay so Yes, as you said, I was not a food person professionally originally. Um, I love that we both met in grad school <laughs> for art, and now we are both doing... Well, you're you're doing sort of a form of performance art, but 
It's not this exactly. Too, I gotta say. <laughs> Cooking the culinary arts. <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, yeah, but I uh, never really thought this would be my job. I just always really loved to bake, and pie was always sort of my kind of niche in my family. My whole family is super foodie, mm-hmm. and um, my brother's a chef, and my mom's a chocolatier, and so we all kind of have our, like, domain, and for me, pie has always been that, and it's always been sort of a, I guess, like, a meditative kind of refuge. I mean, mm. when I was working in galleries, I would always have off on Sundays and Mondays, and I would take Sunday mornings and bake a pie and give them away, and it's like, or have potlucks or whatever, and it was just always a nice way to kind of do something that makes you slow down and focus. I remember you baking pies in London, and you were bemoaning your roommate's crap oven in your council <laughs> flat, and you were like, it just was all the fire in the back, and the pie didn't... And- yeah, that was sort of a nightmare, actually. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, you may do. You know, I've rolled out dough with, like, wine bottles before. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I, I'm, I'm very spoiled now by my convection ovens, and they bake very evenly, and it's very nice. Yeah. yeah. So it's. I remember when First Prize Pies first started to come about, you entered a pie baking contest with your wonderful boyfriend, Jay. Yes. And when, what year was that? That was in 2009. Okay. Um, and I was, you know, working, I was working in the art world at the time. I was actually working as a studio manager for an artist. And at that point, I had, like, already realized that I wanted to move into food professionally. But I was at a stage where I was already paying off huge student loan debt from grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I was, I was about 30 years old. I didn't feel like I was really at a stage where going to culinary school and then like working the line for five bucks an hour for however long was going to be viable for me. And so I was sort of, I felt like I was sort of biding my time and just like waiting for my opening on some level. But Mm. I'd sort of realized that I was done with the art world at that point. And, um, but I definitely wasn't thinking this pie contest would have anything to do with that. I just entered kind of on a whim and yeah, Jay sent me an email with a link and was like, you should enter this, you'll win. And of course that was like, not really what I was thinking, but I just wanted to do it. It sounded fun. And, um, I entered with two pies, one, which I'd never made before, which was the s'mores, which is now my most popular pie. Oh my God, which is fucking delicious. It was very different iteration. When I entered the contest, I wound up using like this insanely rich, uh, dark mass brothers chocolate, which was just overkill. But, um, the bourbon ginger pecan was... Which is also amazing. And that's the one that, like... I feel like that's sort of my signature recipe because I've been making that since I was probably 15 or 16, like, every year for Thanksgiving. And, you know, the maple syrup that's in there came about because we would spend Thanksgivings in Vermont. And, you oh, know, wow. I couldn't find corn syrup. And I was like, well, maybe I can use maple syrup. And I did, and it was better. And, you know, so that was one that just sort of evolved really you know organically over a period of a really long time and so I kind of always thought of that as like my you know my signature special creation for a long time before I was really thinking about developing new pie recipes and um yeah and we entered and Jay got really into the whole thing and decided (laughs) that he wanted to make this apple cider cream pie and um we developed that together and he went up winning best sweet pie for that and I took the best overall prize for the pecan. And it was just a really fun day. Like, my my mom and my brother were there and a bunch of our friends. And 
it was just like a really cool convivial kind of community oriented moment and it was like one of many occasions where I kind of realized that you know I mean it sounds like corny but pie really is one of these things that like brings people together I mean you have you can't eat whole pie by yourself I mean some people can't I mean, <laughs> but it's definitely it's a shared dessert you know it's it's one that's super seasonal that's super adaptable it can be savory it can be sweet it can be custardy it can be you know fruity it can be anything and so so yeah I don't know I just it was really fun and I was and it felt really fun to be able to be sort of creative and have something I was working on that was not my job Mm -hmm. and so I don't remember really how I came up with the idea but I just asked my mom if it would be cool to sell pies by the slice at her chocolate shop on the weekends and she said of course because she's like amazing Mm -hmm. and I started doing that and then I gave it a name and I like put together a really basic website just to kind of have it out there and it was always going to just be like a part-time gig and then Daily Candy wrote a write-up on it. Oh my god, of course. And then it was just like over. Like I remember waking (laughs) up at five in the morning uh, and checking my inbox for this like new first price pies email account that I made and just like orders like flooding in and I was like I have no idea how I'm going to accommodate this Holy I had to like bro. immediately cut my hours at work and you know and the next thing I knew it was like a couple months later and I was you know pretty much full time and like bartending to kind of supplement my income wow so yeah that's really it was really not planned I did not have a business plan it took me a minute (laughs) to get my LLC like you know I was not in any way like organized about it or really thinking about it seriously and it was something that just kind of happened to me on some level Um, and that's what launched everything and now I mean I'm like it's been long enough now that I now do have a business plan and I have financial projections and I have, you know, all of these things, insurance, you know, insurance. (laughs) Well, you have, you need to have like liability insurance. Okay. You know, as a food business. Yes. If someone should just have a heart attack eating, (laughs) which, you know, there's enough butter. It's a nice way to go. (laughs) (laughs) It's not implausible. You did. I I have to say, I went on your website or the, um, butter and scotch blog. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and, there was a picture again I am just I should just have a washcloth under my chin right now because I just like my my mouth is just watering like crazy it's ridiculous but it was just a picture of a um, Cuisinart with just these huge beautiful cubes of butter yeah as for your crust making and it was just like I like that 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 is my happy place that picture I just I like I will make it my wallpaper <laughs> it's just like just all that gorgeous butter just like heaped up in the mixing bowl oh yeah heaven we use a lot of butter god bless it Thank it's you really for insane using how much butter we go through I like sometimes I look at what we have laid out on the table and you know I know we're making a lot of pies but it's still it's sort it's of a, a shit ton of butter <laughs> yeah oh my gosh so first price pies happen and then you met your business partner Kevy mm-hmm. yeah and when did the ideas for butter and scotch come about well so Kevy and I met 
I want to say maybe almost three years ago, and we met socially, so we've mm. been friends um, for for the past few years and kind of have a similar social circle. She actually met her husband the same night that she and I met. It was like wow, very pretentious Stars night. Were smiling yeah, upon her. <laughs> um, and so uh, we. Yeah, we just kind of, it was nice to have a friend who did something similar. I mean, so Kevy had uh, a cupcake business called Kumquat Cupcakery, and she'd been in business longer than I had. I think she'd been in business about five years when we first started talking about teaming up. Uh, and she was like one of the very first vendors at the Brooklyn Flea and very similar business model where it was really about doing these markets and catering and a little bit of wholesale, but you know, really pretty boutique and again, sort of not having a brick and mortar and, you know, being very kind of nomadic in a way about yeah, yeah. where people can find you and where from you one are gourmet from one food market to the next. Pretty much, you know, which like, I think there's a certain appeal to that, like the lack of overhead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but after a while, it gets to be really sort of exhausting to have to answer the question over and over again about like, where can I find your stuff? And you're like, well, here's a five minute essay on where I'll be this week, you know? Totally. Um, so I think we both had just sort of hit this wall uh, around the same time. And just over a year ago now, last summer, Kevy shot me an email and was like, I'm getting ready to open a brick and mortar. I don't want it to just be another little cupcake shop. You know, I want to talk ideas. Is this something that you're into? And I totally was. And so we met up over Pitcher Sangria. Amazing. <laughs> and we just started talking about, you know, what would be worth it, I guess, because it's so much work to open a physical location. I can only begin I mean, to it's, imagine. like, insane. And... So for me, I didn't want it to just be a bakery. I was sort of thinking along, along the lines of a cafe or, you know, something like that, like something a little bit more involved. Mm. Uh, and then Kevy had the really good point that, you know, when you're going into something that's more of a full-on restaurant, your margins in terms of food costs are just, you know, and perishability are so much more scary. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're buying lettuce and fish and meat and you know these you really hyper perishable it. things yeah. that you know that can be a real issue depending on what your you know volume is looking like and so then we were thinking okay and you know and butter sugar flour eggs these are things with a much more forgiving shelf life mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. also much less expensive than you know local sustainable seafood yeah. <laughs> yeah. um and so that was a really good point, and, you know, we were trying to be really professional and really, you know, intelligent about the decisions that we were going to make. And the fact that I'd been bartending for about a decade now on and off, and the fact that we were sitting over alcohol, <laughs> I don't know which one of us thought of it first, but it was like, well, what about cocktails, you know? Like, what if it was... a bakery slash bar type of environment where you could go and have a really well-made cocktail and some really delicious desserts in a place that's casual and fun and not intimidating and not, you know, plating with tweezers and hyper, hyper conceptual. Yeah. Um, and that was really it. I mean, as soon as we like said it out loud, we knew that's what we wanted to do. And for me, it was great because it really married these two things that I love doing. I love baking. I love making drinks. You know, I've, 
make my own bitters. Like, you know, it's like I'm a nerd about it and to have a, a venue. And you're good at it, which is you. essential. <laughs> you can be a nerd about it, but if you suck, it's <laughs> true. No. This is true. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was sort of like, boom. And then Kevy came up with the name and I was like, you're a genius. I mean, yeah. Butter and scotch is one of the best given what you guys are combining. And it's just, it's brilliant. And it's so beautiful and simple. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, she came up with it. She was like, I had an idea. Maybe just as a placeholder. And I was like, placeholder, shmaceholder. I mean, this is it, you know? Like, what could be better? Because I kept saying, like, it needs to be something that really gives equal weight to the dessert component and the booze component. And really just, you know... Without without trying too hard, just really expresses the concept. And then she said that, and I was like, well, duh. Um, so, yeah, so that was kind of it, and that's how it got rolling. And it's been almost a year since we got our LLC, and we it's one of these things where we are kind of already out there. I mean, we do mm-hmm. Smorgasburg on the weekends, and... We have a website. We do a lot of wholesale. We do a bunch of catering. Even at the flea, I bought the mm-hmm. most redonkulous trifle <laughs> yeah, the head trifle. fuckery. It was <laughs> glorious. It was glorious. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was like having a sugar high and getting buzzed at the same time, but in the most perfect, like beautiful, balanced way. Thank you. Yeah, my afternoon was shot afterwards. But yeah, it was fun. we put a lot of bourbon <laughs> in that trifle. Um, yeah, so, you know, we've been kind of wanting to get out there so that people are aware of us and kind of know the brand and, like, know what we're making and are familiar with us before we open. And we've raised a little more than half the capital that we need. Amazing. And, yeah, and we're about to launch a Kickstarter for to try to raise the rest. So Fantastic. Yeah, when so does that launch? It's still TBD. We're shooting the video uh, Monday. Fantastic. Yes. So um, we're just kind of like trying to figure out a few of the logistical things. Like we're going to do some uh, tote bags designed by our friend, this amazing illustrator, Lindsay Mound. And so we want her to, you know, get those graphics. And as soon as like all those little things are in place, we already have all the reward levels figured out and all of that. And there's some really cool idea. It's been really fun actually coming up with stuff. It's like, awesome. what can we give people? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, once that's done, we'll, we'll launch it. So I'm hoping sometime late September, early October. Right. Well, I, I hope, I hope for the sake of your Kickstarter campaign that this podcast is able to be live by then. I so hope so absolutely too. link through that would be great. the campaign. How much are you guys looking to raise? That's the other thing that we're like still, ironing out so I mean it's you know we don't want to ask for too like more than we think we can realistically get because Mm -hmm. Kickstarter you don't get anything if you don't make it all yeah um but I think which is fucking annoying Kickstarter (laughs) if you're listening (laughs) yeah I mean you know yeah it is um it is but it is what it is I mean I feel really confident that we we can raise a good chunk I think you know the rewards that we're that we're putting on there. And also just, I feel like the idea, I mean, every time we talk to people in Crown Heights, which is where we want to open, awesome. it's like, they're just like open already. We're so excited. And I love that neighborhood and we kind of love the community that's over there. And I just feel like we would be a good fit. Absolutely. So I'm hoping that the people who live in Crown Heights will. Yeah, help. definitely. And anybody who lives Crown along Fund. the subway lines, the right. train. Yeah. The, it's like, 
I mean, that's the other thing that I love about that neighborhood is two, three, four, five, AC, the shuttle. Like, it's all... So it's theoretically possible that someone from Manhattan or Queens uh, or the Bronx or Staten Island. Butter and scotch. <laughs> I can see it being like a destination place, being like, you know, when a sweet little Manhattan couple is like on their second date, they're like, oh, but Manhattan's so yesterday. How about we go to Crown Heights? <laughs> Let's go drink fancy drinks and eat fantastic desserts. I know just the place. I, I can absolutely see that happening. That's the plan. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't wait to see it come to life. I know, me too. I really can't wait. I can't wait to like open the door and stand behind the bar. That'll. Oh my god! I'm really excited for the book. Like holding the book in my hands is going to be insane. But it's almost now like nothing will be more insane than actually like unlocking the door to my own establishment and walking inside. God, I can only imagine. Yeah. (gasps) Oh, so that's wow. Oh, I just I'm so excited. I'm so excited not only for you guys but also for like the people of Crown Heights who are going to be within walking distance of you guys. I mean, <laughs> goodbye rent money. <laughs> I'm going to go drown my sorrows in fine sugar and good booze and a lot of butter. We're going to have some good happy hours. <gasps> yeah. Oh, some super yes. fun, super fun happy hours. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm there. Themed, you know, and not just for booze, but for cu- like cupcakes and stuff too. Oh so. my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, God bless that entire thing. I'm so excited about that. Thank you. Um, Well, I want to ask you both about um, a little bit about your mom's amazing chocolate shop, which is one of my favorite places in all of, not only the Essex Street Market where she has her shop, but um, in all of New York. Um, Pig candy? I mean, hello. (laughs) Um, Your brother, also super badass, incredible chef. But then I also want to talk to you not only about your cookbook, but about some of the recipes and how mm-hmm. you come up with them. So I don't really, I, I guess I'll ask first about your brother and your mother, and then I want to talk to you about your creation as I am like, my tongue is like tripping over the slide. <laughs> this is like embarrassing. I'm happy this isn't a video podcast. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> So your mom, so I mean, if I remember, if memory serves correctly, she took off in a very similar Fashion, Ronnie Sue's Chocolates, which is an Essex Street Market. What's her website, Ronnie? It's uh, Ronnie-Sue.com. Oh, my God. Yeah, and R-O-N-I. R-O-N-I-S-U-E.com. Yeah. Um, her pig candy, if you can explain to... Sure. ...what the phenomenon <laughs> that is pig candy is. <laughs> yeah, so oh my, my mom God. is like... Ugh. So, actually, one of my favorite things that anyone has ever written about my mom was... Um, this piece for Edible Magazine. Gabriella Gershenson did like a profile on her and she described her as a deranged homemaker. <laughs> and I think that's really like, no one has better encapsulated the essence <laughs> of my mother. Um, she just, you know, she, she has a really kind of quirky, fun personality and like approach to, to food and flavor. Um, you know, she, like, her whole shop is full of all these, like, tchotchkes and all these little things, and, you know, she's just, she, like, swears like a sailor, and she's just (laughs) hilarious, and, uh, yeah, I think it was maybe a year after she opened the shop or so, a year or two, and, um, she was talking with Kenny Shopson, who owns Shopson's Restaurant, which is now also in the Essex Market, and he's which is awesome, a total lunatic character as well. <laughs> and the two of them are like you know platonic soulmates. And uh, he 
she was saying that she wanted to do something with bacon and chocolate. She didn't know what, and she'd had some things that were already out there from other chocolate shops that she felt didn't have a strong enough bacon ratio that, you know, it was really more chocolate, and she wanted to really have the bacon be the star. And Mm. he had the idea of just taking whole slices of bacon and deep frying them, which is how he serves the bacon at his restaurant. So they're like hyper crispy and then um, dipping them in chocolate. And that's what she does. And it's amazing. It's called pig candy. It comes in milk or dark chocolate and it's crunchy and it's salty and it's smoky and it's chocolatey and it's amazing. And it's one of these things too. We were both really surprised. She and I both prefer the milk. As do I. And I'm not normally like a milk chocolate person. I almost always would go for dark over milk. Mm -hmm. And just something about, there's like something creamy and caramelly about it. Like with the bacon, it's just amazing. So yeah, that has like completely taken over and become by far her most popular item. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, she makes 30 to 40 different flavors of these like incredible hand rolled truffles. And she has all of these caramel corns and lollipops and brownies and, and all these other things. Yeah. Well. All the, yeah. Um, but you know, the pig candy, it's like people come far and wide for that stuff. Yeah. And she <laughs> ships by the way. Oh, and she ships. Listen, That's true. I have, I have <laughs> on occasion gifted plenty of my family members half a pound or so a yeah. piece of a pig candy because it is just there's nothing like it if somebody loves bacon I mean yeah no it's so true and it's so funny because I, I used to work at the shop a lot I would bake at the shop and cover the shop while I was baking and people would come up all the time and be like what is that and I would describe it and they would be totally weirded out and freaked out and then they'd have I'd, you know give them a little taste and it's like you're like I'll taste, take five right? I mean, yeah it's like yeah, just a taste. It's like, yeah, just dope. a dipple do you. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, it really is. It's bacon dope. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I was surprised about the milk because I am definitely a dark chocolate kind of gal, but there's something about the creaminess of the milk. It There's something it allowed, again, I have to swallow because I am <laughs> salivating so profusely. This is ridiculous. Um, there's something about that balance that was so... Oh, it was just brilliant. And the dark, I mean, you can't go wrong no, with it's all, fried No, it's bacon. all good. But the dark yeah. is good, but I have to say I was surprised by how much I preferred the milk. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's funny, I haven't had it in so long, and now I'm really craving <laughs> <laughs> And you helped your mom, if I remember correctly, you helped your mom develop some of her more alcoholic chocolates, like the dark and stormy. Yeah, we definitely, well, she knew she wanted to do a cocktail collection, mm. and so we, um, when she was kind of scheming that up, we talked a lot because... Um, she, I think she was just trying to figure out what would be the best selection that would be really representative and kind of appeal to a bunch of different flavors. So, I mean, that was always the fun thing about baking at her shop was, you know, if I was testing a recipe, she could try it and give me her feedback and vice versa. And, you know, we both obviously really trust each other's palate. And so it was, it was always fun to kind of collaborate on ideas and, you know, she would be like, well, I want to do this. And I'd say, well, maybe you should dehydrate some whatever. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) why not? You know, it's like totally, it's like a crazy laboratory of chocolate. Wow. Um, And her techniques are really innovative in terms of how she gets flavor into her truffles. And, you know, they're all really natural. There's no extracts or anything in any of them. And, um, 
you know, she'll take freeze-dried raspberries and grind them into this, like, super fine powder and mix that in. So it's, like, hit you in the face, strawberry flavor, but it's completely natural and there's no, like, you know, weirdness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no fake kind of aftertaste or anything. So, yeah, she was, I mean, she's always been really inspirational to me when I think about recipes and developing recipes. And has she always, because, I mean, just the fact that both you and your brother have had such... I mean, now such food-based trajectories, mm-hmm. trajectories rather, I should say, in life. What, I mean, did you guys, what was it like around the dinner table at home growing up? I mean, was it the same level of experimentation or discussion? Kind of. I mean, you know, so my mom, my mom's mom was not a cook. My mom grew up in a house where, you know, it's like 1950s, all about sort of convenience. Everything came in a can. And so she never really had the experience of freshly cooked, like nutritious, delicious food. Mm. And I think it was only later in life. It was really, I think when she had us that she kind of realized that she didn't want that to be our experience. And so she's an entirely self-taught cook. I mean, she didn't come from anyone else. And so she would take like cooking classes at the local community colleges and stuff and like mother centers. And, um, she was always kind of experimenting with different kinds of cuisine and just, you know, figuring out how to take really heavy, rich recipes and make them more healthy or lighter, nutritious, but still really flavorful. Mm -hmm. And so I think definitely for Corinne and I, that was a big inspiration was just, you know, watching her play in the kitchen and our kitchen was gorgeous. My parents did like a huge redesign on the house. It's I think when we were, I was maybe seven years old or eight years old or something. And the kitchen was like the bulk of that. And, you know, they put in like a restaurant oven and, you know, it was beautiful. And so it was really like her space. I mean, I remember coming home from school and it was like I'd run up the front stairs and the kitchen was direct eye line and I would just always see her in there like making snacks for us or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, definitely I think Corwin and I were really influenced by that. And then when we would travel as a family, um, we, it was like almost all about the food, you know, (laughs) it was like we would travel to places and have these dinners and, you know, we would all have to order something different and make the like representative bite on the fork that had like every component on the plate (laughs) to share around, you know? And so definitely we all really loved food and Mm -hmm. were very open to and inspired by a variety of foods. That said, I was like completely phobic about anything spicy until I was like in my twenties, which was the bane of my mother's existence. Cause we, I was born in New Mexico. She lived in New Mexico for about a decade and loved cooking Southwestern food. And I mean, her chili was like legendary and I just like, she'd always have to make like an extra little bowl of guacamole with no chili in it for me. And, you know, it was so lame. And now I love it. I put a hot sauce on everything, but <laughs> it took a really long time. And she has an amazing hot chocolate collection. I mean, literally like spicy, spicy chocolate. Yeah, she's, yeah, she has the Chili Lovers collection. Yes. And uh, it's, yeah, it's really cool that she's got um, the Diablo, which is like a dark chocolate ganache base truffle, hand rolled truffle with um, a blend of like eight different chilies. And then the Zydeco, which is the same, but it's an even lighter base. So you get, it's like much more chili forward. 
Uh, and then the down the hatch, which is my favorite, which is her butter crunch toffee with um, dehydrated hatch green chili from New Mexico in the toffee. And then it's dipped in dark chocolate and it has some smoked vanilla sea salt on top. And it's just ridiculous. Jesus. Yeah, it's amazing. Christ. That's like my, I don't know. I mean, my favorite rotates. It's hard for me to like ever have just one constant. Yeah. But that's in my top five for sure of like anything she's ever made. I love it. Wow. That. Yeah, it's great. Holy Moses. Yeah, it's no, like I want some of those. Spicy, <laughs> salty, sweet, Brilliant. amazing, oh my rich, God. super buttery. It's great. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Well, and then skipping over to your brother. I mean, he is, what, what is he doing now? So he is freelancing now, which he's loving. <laughs> That's rad. Um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, it was interesting because it's almost like my brother and I, or my mother and I followed in my brother's footsteps on some oh. level because he went right into culinary school from high school. Oh, wow. Like it was direct for him. Like he knew that's what he wanted to do. Wow. And so, in fact, even in high school uh, in New York, there's this program called BOCES where it's sort of like you can take your elective periods in high school when you're a senior and a junior and instead of just taking, I don't know, whatever bullshit class you want to take, mm -hmm. you can um, take these BOCES classes, which are uh, sort of trade school. It's like early jump oh, on. Cool. Yeah. So they had, you know, you could take stuff for auto mechanics or um, I'm trying to remember what else. I think hairdressing was one of them, you know, Whoa. these kind of trades. Or there was a culinary one. And so Corwin started with that and then went right to culinary school in Vermont uh, and then right out of culinary school, you know, did his externships and staging. And, you know, the next thing you knew, he was working in restaurants in New York and was super young, you know. And uh, I think when he was about maybe 21 or 22, he got scouted by this modeling scout and decided to take a break from the restaurants. And um, they flew him to Singapore and he spent the next, I think, year, year and a half between Singapore and Hong Kong modeling because he looks kind of half Asian, which is weird when you look at me. You would never think that. But, um, and apparently that was like en vogue at the time um, for the for models. I don't know. Uh, but while he was there, he really fell for, you know, Asian food and Southeast Asian food and got to travel around and try a bunch of stuff. And so when he came back... He started working at this restaurant called Five Ninth in the Meatpacking District, and the chef there, Zach Palaccio, uh, was just on the verge of opening the first Fatty Crab restaurant. And so when he did that, he brought Corwin over as his chef de cuisine. And then over the you know ensuing, I guess, four or five years, they opened another two Fatty Crabs and two Fatty Qs, which is their like whiff on kind of the Asian barbecue. Barbecue, yeah. Um, and so Corwin eventually became the executive chef of all those restaurants. But I think, you know, I mean, he's now 31, 32. And so he's super so, young yeah. and like it was such a huge amount of respons responsibility for like one young dude you know yeah. I mean he's super on top of it and organized and so good at what he does but I think after a while it was just like he was ready to not be running the show or running five shows you know and so uh he took a step back and I mean he's still sort of involved with them but on a freelance basis mm -hmm. and he the first project he did was to open this uh 
restaurant and cocktail bar in Moscow. So he was there for like a Whoa. month and a half, which sounded insane. <laughs> when was that? Was that recently? That was in January, February. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And wasn't he just in Hong Kong? Yeah. So that was to open, they just opened a fatty crab in Hong Kong. And so oh they hired him Lord. to go over and do that since, I mean, he knows that whole menu and the whole thing inside out. It made sense for him to do that. Uh, so he was there, which I think was fun for him also, because I don't think he'd been back since he had been living there. Oh, of there. course, of course. And it was a lot nicer. Oh, my God. I remember visiting him there when he was <laughs> modeling, and it was for Christmas, and my parents and I went over, and he was living in a room that was like one of those pod rooms you see, like, you know, that you can't believe they're real. I mean, it had no totally. windows, and it was like just a bed, you oh know? Oh, God. And, I, and we were staying at some, like, insane hotel. And I was like, Corwin, you're coming to my room. I'm like, what are you doing? You're not staying here. I can't let you do this. Uh, I couldn't believe it, actually. Wow. I could not believe how insane. And, of course, the rent was, like, equivalent of, like, a one-bedroom oh in God. New York or something. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, Hong Kong's crazy expensive. Yeah. So, yeah, so he did that. And now he's working on a project, which I don't know if I can really talk about, but it's a TV show. Uh, I won't get too specific, but it's a TV show, and essentially he is realizing a bunch of restaurant concepts for this show. Amazing. So, like, the menus and, the you know, everything from, like, the menus to the dishes to the kitchen staff, like, all of, all of wow. these ideas, he's, like, actually making them happen. Because he's been on, wasn't he on, like, it wasn't Iron Chef. Or he was on Chopped, yeah. Chopped, yeah. Yeah, he won Chopped, which was awesome. And right. he got to go, actually, to Southeast Asia and travel around with his girlfriend. Although he got stung, it, this is a whole detour story, but he got stung by a giant Asian hornet, which is, like, this insanely terrifying wasp that's, like, a wasp on every steroid in the world. I mean, it's so big. It's, like, the size of your hand. It's, it literally Jesus. is. And he, um, yeah, he was riding a moped through, like, the countryside of Vietnam. Beautiful, gorgeous day. And no one on the bird. road. His girlfriend's on the back of the bike. And all of a sudden, he looks down at his hand, and this thing has landed on his hand. And he's, like, trying to gently brake so they don't skid out. And then it starts to sting him, and they skid out. And it was, like, this nightmare. Nightmare. Jesus. And apparently... Which he didn't realize until he got back to the States and, like, had to take IV antibiotics. But it kills more people and livestock every year in Asia than anything else. What? Like, it's insanely venomous. And it's also this thing where... Oh. Time to move your car. <laughs> oh, um, no, but this, this is such a good story. It is, it is. No, but that's... <laughs> it was shit. It was insane. And basically... Um, yeah, it kills all these people, and it's got some weird pheromone in its venom that attracts more of them. I mean, it's it's like, I'm really phobic of bugs, and this is why. Like, it embodies <laughs> everything that I think is evil and alien about insects. Holy shit. Um, so anyway, but he was fine, but it was oh sort God. of like a bummer at the end of this, like, chopped, uh, yeah. you know, vacation spray. Holy yeah. shit. Well, we'll, we'll take we'll a break so you can go feed go the meter. left off uh, talking about how your brother almost lost his life to a bird-sized hornet. Yes, right. Um, so that was his prize. Grim as shit. <laughs> I'm glad he's okay. I'm glad he recovered. Yeah, it was terrifying. He walked with a cane for like a month. I mean, it was crazy. Jesus. Yeah, no, he was really messed up. And honestly, I think if they hadn't gotten thrown from the bike and the wasp had like stayed in him longer, it would have been much worse. 
Um, but Could because, he not flick it off? Well, I think well, that's what happened. Or does was that like, have, like, claws? I don't really know, but I think what happened was, like, he was trying to not make any sudden movements and just really gently break and pull over to the side. But then once it started sting, stinging him, it was sort of like, you know, he freaked out Jesus. and lost control. And so, yeah, um, crazy. And if you Google pictures of that thing, it is... What is it called again? A giant Asian hornet. So I think there's different names for it because it's like, you know, it's like the devil. Like how many names does the devil have? (laughs) Um, And we actually, we never said what your brother's name is. Oh, my brother is Corwin Cave. Yes. He got the cool name. (laughs) Allison, Allison's unusual with the two L's. Is it? I feel like there were like five in my grade. (laughs) It's fine. I like my name, but I, oh, growing up, I was like, oh, Corwin gets the <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, people are like, what is that? How do you spell that? You know, um, yeah, he was named after Prince Corwin from the Nine Princes in Amber fantasy sci-fi series by Roger Zelazny. Wow. So if you were wondering if my parents were hippies, they were a certain answer. Well, at least to their credit, they were not named, you know, like after Lord of the Rings. That's true. Give me. <laughs> I love Lord of the Rings, As but do I. yeah, As I don't do know I, if I'd want to have like my brother Frodo. <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially after the movies came out, it's like everyone knows that now. Yeah, yeah. Corwin's a little more obscure. It's more common as a last name. You don't usually see it as a first name. Huh. Um. So yeah. Anyway. Wow. That's, that's Cor. So that's what he did with his. Uh, money from Chopped. He had this amazing vacation in Vietnam and then right at the end had like near death experience. Um, but yeah, so he was on that, um, which it's so funny. Like I don't have, uh, I think it's on the Food Network. I don't have a Food Network, but every once in a while it'll rerun and I'll get all of these like, you know, emails from people I know. Like I just saw your brother on Chopped. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> awesome. it, it was cool. It was really, it was a good episode. They gave him a really, really difficult dessert basket. It was like, I don't remember everything with, that was in there, but there were definitely Chinese sausages and those like little fairy eggplants. <laughs> what? Yeah, and all the judges were like, "This is good, but it doesn't really taste like dessert." And it's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Assignment. You oh gave God. me sausage and eggplant for my dessert basket. But yeah, he 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 still pulled through. I, wow. I would like to taste what he made. I never got yeah, to Yeah, I was going to say, well, he it, certainly but. has the uh, familial ties to be able to rock something like that. Yeah, no, he did great. I mean, I think of all of us, he is the most... Uh, most equipped for something like that, having cooked everything, you know, it's like, I, I'm a baker. I can't, and I, I love to cook, but I don't know that I would feel confident like stepping out to chopped and being like, sure, I know what to do with this, you know, eel. I mean, you know, they give you <laughs> such crazy shit minutes. in that basket. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, he said the clock was so unforgiving. <laughs> it's like, you don't realize how quick that time is. And, you know, like all TV shows, there's a ton of time spent just like, standing around, adjusting lights, you know, getting the shot. But as he said, as soon as the clock started, it was, it was go. There was no like pausing, you know, it's like that part is absolutely real. Um, yeah, it sounded like a crazy experience. Oh my God. Got 10 G's though. Hey, work it out, work <laughs> it out. I have to say, I mean, slight side note, cause my brother has now been on, featured on, 
um, what is it, at the reality show uh, Bar Rescue. Oh, no way. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh, right, because he's like... He's like Mr. Fancy Bartender, right. and he won uh, America's Best Bartender. There was a Amazing. reality show for bartenders called On the Rocks. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I've heard he about won this. that. And he also won, like, he actually, I think he won, like, a hundred grand. That's amazing. Which is ridiculous. What is he, like, and now what is he's he like, doing with that? Is he um, opening a bar, or is he, like, just... He actually, he's now a retirement totally account. freelance. <laughs> okay. um, anybody who wants to look him up, his name is Joseph Brooke, and we look a lot alike, except I wear more makeup. Um, <laughs> he uh, was, up until recently, he was in L.A., and he's been working at all these really fancy places, and he... Went freelance. He's now primarily, I mean, in addition to the show, he's also training cruise ship bars, wow. like how to do like a, a right pour and like right. design drink menus. I think this is all what he's, from what I can remember, what he's told me. Uh, but then he's also opened up a bar in his backyard that is like oh, not good. open to the public. Yeah, at like all, a pop up speakeasy thing. Exactly. Yeah. <gasps> I want to go there. It's called Barrage. Oh my god. Because it's in his garage. I love that. I really <laughs> want to go there. I wish. Next time, uh, next you're time in, in LA, LA. Yeah, it's been a while. I Seriously, and I mean, talking about somebody who could like help you out with fancy. His knowledge of alcohol is encyclopedic. He had to take this exam called the BAR, which is the beverage. What is it? The something alcohol resource beverage alcohol. Associate, I don't remember. Anyway, it's called the BAR, and like they had to do blind tastings of like different flights, say of tequila, or it would just like all like neutral colored spirits right. and they had to not only say what it was, where it was from, what it was aged in, the kind of wood the barrel was made of, wow. if anything, what region, you know, the ingredients were grown in, just by tasting it. Um, so anyway, I'll be happy to put the two of you in touch. Oh God, I would love that. In, yeah, uh, I really, LA. I just want to go to his garage. Dude, it's fucking amazing. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, talk about like having a dream and just following it. Like, and it helps that they live down the street from Lowe's. <laughs> oh right, yeah, totally. It's so like, yeah, no, I mean, full on lacquered bar. Like, you go in and it's a fucking bar. That's in like my garage. dream. That's amazing. It's good for him. That's so cool. With a big picture of Queen Latifah left by the oh. prior owners. <laughs> there are other things. That's it's the cherry good. on top, right there. The maraschino cherry on top. <laughs> well, speaking of maraschino cherries, while we took our break, I was looking through your um, the second poll. Is that what it's second called? Second pass. Second pass. Um, I only just book. learned these terms. Well, you're, 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 you're saying it very professionally. Um, and I didn't realize this was organized by month. Yes, it's That's super seasonal. Rad. Yeah, and the idea is that, so there's over 75 recipes, and the idea is that basically it's like a recipe for every week of the year and more. So, you know, theoretically, someone, if they were really, you know, into it, could bake a pie a week and have enough recipes in here to do that. And some of them are hyper-seasonal, like, you know, you're not going to see the berry pies in December or anything like that. And if you do, don't make them. Right. <laughs> yeah, do not. Especially, yeah, there are certain things that you really don't want to buy out of season. Um, but then other things are more you know, kind of across the board, like you can make the trifecta pie, which is chocolate peanut butter pretzel. I mean, that's a year-round pie. Although I put it in August because you, it's an icebox pie. You don't have to turn on your oven. Oh, cool. And I was thinking, like, I put as many of those recipes in the hot July and August section as possible because I know for myself that I actually that don't really mind the pie. heat that much, but um, Jay gets really testy if the house is too hot. Okay. So less <laughs> so delicate. Um, so yeah, so I put those in the August section for when you like can't bear the idea of turning your oven on. Oh my God. 
So yeah. how did like how like for instance, so you just mentioned the trifecta pie, which mm-hmm. is I think that was the first pie I ever tasted of yours. I think we came over for Thanksgiving. That's possible. Several years ago. Yeah. And uh, I got to taste it, and it was of course ridiculously delicious. Um, how do you come up with these recipes? I mean, some of them are classics that I kind of riff on, uh, like the shoe fly pie. You know, that's a really classic traditional pie from like Amish country. And what's in a shoe fly pie? Uh, shoe fly pie is um, the main dominant flavors are molasses. Um, there's some spices like kind of autumnal spices in there. Um, but mine, I, I, I spice mine more heavily. I also use maple syrup and um, I use brown butter. It's sort of an, it's an interesting Yum. pie. It's composed really interestingly. Unlike other sort of custardy pies, you make a syrup first, like a very loose syrup. It has a little baking soda and it has mm-hmm. water and then it has in mine the molasses and the maple syrup and then and an egg. And you pour that into the pie shell, which has been parbaked. And then you make a sort of crumble with, in my case, brown sugar, brown butter, flour, and all of these spices. And you, like, sprinkle this crumble into the syrup and then bake it. And then shortly before it's done, you sprinkle some more of it on top so that kind of bakes on the surface. And so it almost is like a cross between a pie and a coffee cake in a way. Like, those flavors and that kind of crumbly texture. Um it's really good. It's really, you know, it tends to be if you buy them and they're more traditional, they tend to be, for me, a little too sweet. Mm-hmm. Mine has a bit less sugar than the other recipes that I've seen. Um, so it's really just taking this recipe and this, you know, traditional pie that I love the idea of but didn't necessarily love the variations that I had tried mm-hmm. and making it what I wanted to eat. Um, so sometimes it's like that, you know, mm-hmm. where I just kind of take this format and I riff. Um, and then in other instances, like the trifecta, it's basically, what do I want to eat? You know, so the trifecta pie, it's a pretzel crust with like a peanut butter mousse filling and a dark chocolate ganache like glaze on top. And it was basically like, these are my three favorite things. Like, I want to take a pretzel and dip it in some peanut butter and then, like, eat it with some chocolate, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The saltiness. Yeah, the saltiness, the crunchiness, Mm. and then the nuts and the bitterness of the chocolate. Like, Mm. it all marries really well together. And that's the other, I mean, I think that most of my pies tend to place a real emphasis on that kind of, you know, interaction between salty and sweet. So mm-hmm. my crust is definitely, I think, more heavily seasoned than most people's. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you eat it on its own, it's really flavorful and it's definitely salty and you can eat it by itself, you know. Um, and I'll bake the scraps off. I was about and, to say, you know, it was on your blog. Yeah. I saw the, the picture of the freshly baked pie <laughs> scrap, the crust scraps. Yeah. So, oh my God. Well, we've been making these pie shakes at Smorgasburg. Yes. Oh, my God. Can you please <laughs> talk about the pie shakes? Yeah. So they are, this is like this crazy thing that <laughs> is, like, it's a Midwestern thing. And I'd only ever seen it. I'd never even had one, but I had only ever seen it at this place in Iowa City called the Hamburg Inn, which is this amazing, amazing diner in Iowa City where it's like one of those places during the caucuses where like every politician stops and eats a hamburger or something. 
Um, but Jay, my boyfriend, grew up in Cedar Rapids and went to college in Iowa City. Oh. And so every time we go home to see his family, we hang out in Iowa City because that's like where there are fun things to do. And uh, so we've been to Hamburger a few times. And I'd never had it, but I'd seen it on the menu and been like, what the hell is this? <laughs> And then we started making our own ice creams for butter and scotch, and we were thinking about doing, like, a la mode and whatever. And then I was like, well, let's do these pie shakes. And it's basically a milkshake, and then right at the end, you take an entire slice of pie, and you just, like, swirl it in. (laughs) So it's, like, chunky, and you get the textures of the pie and the flavor of the pie. Like, you get these chunks of it. It's almost like a blizzard or something, but just, like, really well done, you know? Um, And they're they're insane. I mean, it's basically like your caloric, you know, intake for a week, but it's it's like a crazy. Like I I can't tell if like I'm gonna break out in a sweat, pass out, or start crying as you're talking about this. Holy Moses! So anyway, but we've been taking those pie crust scraps and baking them off with like a little sugar, and then um, garnishing the pie shapes with them. So you get these like salty, crunchy, you know, scraps that you can munch on while you're drinking the shake. Um, yeah, it's been a hit. Actually, this is the last weekend of the pie shake. What? Yeah. Oh my god. Because it's getting it's getting cooler a little bit, and you know, so we're gonna start bringing back uh, at Smorgasburg the mini cupcakes and the trifle and you know the caramel corns oh and all that god. stuff, and just doing pie the as well. Trifle is ridiculous. The trifle was always a really big hit, so it'll be fun to be able to bring that back again now that the weather's cooling off. Um, but once we open the shop, I mean, we'll have pie shakes. Year round. Year round. Yeah. It would be. <laughs> I know. Um, do you guys do any like hot chocolates or anything like hot drinks? We do. We actually do. Uh, when we when the weather gets a lot cooler, I mean, we wouldn't do it right now. But once it gets you know a little nip in the air, we do. Um, we call it a hot chocolate pudding, and it's basically like you know the sort of Italian style, European style, super super thick mm-hmm. hot chocolate. You basically like we basically make chocolate pudding and then we heat it up. So oh it's like a dark God. chocolate, and we use uh, Moho Chocolate, which is actually it's a chocolate company from Belize that my mom is a partner in now. Awesome! It's awesome. It's this bean to bar, total direct trade that chocolate is company. Awesome. Yeah, and so the, she knows all the farmers who like provide the cacao to make the chocolate, and they make everything from the bean to the bar. Um, and so she now uses that for her truffles, and we buy the bricks of it from her or from them to use for the hot chocolate. And it's just beyond. I mean, it's super not sweet. Like, we don't... But that richness, I imagine. Yeah. The thing I love about really good dark chocolate is just there's there's richness that nothing... Like, yeah. you can't fake that. Yeah, and it's really fruity. Like, I feel like their chocolate mm. is, like, really aromatic and just has a really, like, interesting nose. Like, it's almost like... I almost think about it like wine. It's like really... When you're drinking it... It doesn't. It doesn't just taste like chocolate. Like there's other stuff going on that mm-hmm, I find really mm-hmm. kind of seductive. Like you keep drinking it because you want to figure out what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll totally be doing that. And then also once we have the bar, we'll do a lot of like, you know, sort of boozy hot drinks like hot toddies and hot buttered rums and things like that. Actually, we have on the sample menu a hot buttered scotch, which makes sense yes. with our. And I like that. I like using something that's like just a little smoky. Like we wouldn't use like. A super peaty like Isla malt for that, but just you know, a nice like slightly smoky scotch with you know the butter and all of those spices and aromatics. I think would be awesome. God. So we'll do stuff like that. Um, 
my mom, when I was a kid, like hot toddies, I think a hot, hot toddy was probably the first alcoholic drink I ever had because she would make them when we would get sick. Of and course, of course. they were ridiculously strong. I mean, I think I have a heavy pour, but my mom is <laughs> <laughs> We're like four-year-old kids, you know. <laughs> and we're like, Mom, I have a cold. I can't sleep. And it's like, knock you out. Drink this. Sleep so Tuesday. Good. Yeah. I mean, so I really like, I have a thing for hot toddies because I, you know, I grew up drinking them and I have yeah, really yeah. like strong opinions about how they should be. Oh, my God. And I think she was the one who first put, um, what was it, the ruby... That celestial seasonings tea that's like the ruby zinger, red zinger. Oh, I love with the zinger. rose hips, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, it goes so well on hot toddy. Wow. Um, and you could just use rose hips, or you can take that, you know, one of those tea bags, which is probably easier to do. Um, and it gives it like a a gorgeous color, but b that sort of really rich like aroma that you get from rose hips and the little lemon. Oh my it's God. great. Yeah, so I want to have, like, a whole... When it gets really cold at the bar, it'll be fun to have, like, a whole hot potty menu. Oh, my God. <laughs> I really Hot alcoholic drinks are one of my favorite things in the world. Like, spiced... Like, mulled wine. Yeah. I'm living in England. That was ridiculous. Um, as well as spiced rum. Yeah, totally. And, like, like boozy cider. hot ciders. Yes. Yeah, so good. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, Talk about, good. like, recipe for, like, the typical drunk, like, red nose, like, completely flushed face. Like, right. Yeah. I'm sweating, and it's... 30 degrees below zero outside. I don't care. I know. It really is great. That's like, I don't know. It really makes you think of like heavy sweaters and heavy snowfall and being in front of a fire and all snuggly and warm. I can't believe we're talking about this because it's like (laughs) 85 degrees outside. (laughs) But, you know, it'll be here. That weather will be here soon enough. I know. about living in New York. Winter will come. Oh, yeah, I know. It's like uh, Game of Thrones. Exactly. (laughs) Whether we like it or not. At least, thankfully, winter here only lasts seven or eight months. Right, yeah. Depending. That's all. Oh, my God. I know. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, So I have to say, I I remember very fondly when um, our friend Anna and I were called in to help you baking a bunch of Thanksgiving pies few years ago and that was my first time ever making a pie actually like mm-hmm. assembling a pie I did not make it I was assembling pies you were invaluable well thank you it was it was an honor and I still have the video of the pies <laughs> going around in that huge convection that oven. is my dream oven we really want to get one for the shop that is the craziest oven yeah. I've ever seen like it is for anybody who's never seen this crazy sort of pie oven what's the official name of that it's not even a necessarily a like pie oven but it's a convection oven that is um it's it's tall instead of being like one of these wide ovens that you just put sheet pans into, sheet trays. So it's um, tall enough that you can take an entire speed rack, you know, which is like the baking rack with the wheels that you can put all of the, the sheets on and wheel the entire thing into the oven. And there's like a slot at the top that catches the rack and you wheel it in and you shut the door and it rotates the rack and evenly bakes everything like everything's moving it's the most hypnotic thing it's to watch me it, it was doing that was simultaneously like exciting and amazing and also <laughs> terrifying because it was like i mean it was like 150 pies or something and i just wheeled them all into this <laughs> oven and i was like well if something goes wrong all of these are fucked like yeah. every all of the work that we just like a matter past, of days like, three days doing it was like the day before or something. it was you're right yeah you're right, you're right. so or, like, late the night before. Yeah, that was crazy. That was my first year 
doing Thanksgiving pies and I actually like thought that would be the toughest year and it wasn't last year it was actually way harder like somehow last year I got a write up in the New York Times like right before Thanksgiving oh, like right before man. my deadline and it so was, your deadline like tripled yeah it was crazy and so I just like I thought I had planned well and then that happened and I didn't want to say no to anybody and it meant that I wound up that last day I stayed up for 36 hours. <gasps> Jesus Christ. It was so, so brutal. I slept like, I've never slept that hard after that. I like went home and I was like delirious. I didn't know what was going on. Oh I just like, God. it was like two in the afternoon. I just went to bed. <laughs> it's crazy. But I'm really, I mean, this year I'm really excited because I have a business partner now and we have people who help us and we're actually, I'm really excited for this. So my mom has, uh, her big news is that she is opening a new location. <gasps> no way! Where? Yes. Uh, and so when? it's on uh, Forsyth between Delancey and Rivington. So it's like around the corner from the Essex Street Market, oh which God. is great. And she'll still have... She will still be there. Yeah, she'll still be in the Essex Market, but she's um, going to have a smaller storefront. Oh. Uh, so she's basically like swapping her space with another vendor there, and it'll just be for retail. So it'll be super easy because so they can kitchen. just literally like walk stuff over. But the new location is you know, compared to the space that she was in in the market, it's enormous. Um, it's, I mean, I don't know when her exact opening date is yet, but it's on its way. I mean, it's almost ready. It wow. shouldn't take her long at all. It was really in good shape when she got it, and she's been steadily doing the work she needs to do. Um, so that's really exciting, and so she'll be doing all her production out of there. She'll be able to really grow, like, all her wholesale stuff, and it'll give her, you know, a new to work in and also it's yeah. a lot easier to control she'll have a cold room like it'll be a lot easier to control the temperature which is always really problematic in the market and for chocolate is so important so sensitive to temperature. so 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 sensitive so yeah she's gonna have like a whole special cold room just for rolling and dipping truffles and you know it's gonna be great so uh, that's going to open and then we butter and scotch we're gonna basically have like a Thanksgiving pop-up at her store. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so it'll it'll be so nice to have a location where people can come and pick up their pies, and we can do it over the course of, like, two or three days, whereas before it was always like, this is your day, and if you can't come, I'm sorry, yeah. you know? But now, because we have better infrastructure and there are more of us involved and we have a car, and, you know, it'll be a lot easier to take care of that. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited to like, because, you know, it's been a while since I've baked at my mom's shop. It'll be nice to kind of, you know, have a, have a time to to kind of revive that in a more spacious location (laughs) without tripping over each other. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it seemed to me that the most time consuming, I mean, like the assembling of the pies was time you know, intensive, but it was really making the crust. Yeah. It seems to, yeah. And, which I also and imagine rolling. puts a lot of people off. Like it's so easy, like, Oh, I don't want to spend however much time it's going to do this. And the, you know, maybe I don't have a Cuisinart, blah, blah, blah. I'll just go to, you know, the frozen section of the supermarket and buy a ready-made crust. Right. Don't do that people. Yeah. Way, it's really, it. and it's really, you don't need a machine. It's not necessary. Um, I've actually, I've taught a bunch of pie classes to people and I've done them like in their home. There's a video homes. on your guys' website too. Oh yeah, the that Pure Wow thing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. that came out great actually. It was awesome. Gorgeous. Um, that was really fun. They were super nice. And yeah, it was for purewow.com and they basically just had me come and 
come up with a bunch of different, like more unusual flavor pairings that go well together for pie concepts or any kind of dessert really. And then um, they had me demo how to make the strawberry basil pie. Uh, and it's really beautifully shot, and everyone who was involved was super nice. Um, and, yeah, I mean, and the book, too, it's like all of it was really informed by the teaching I've done. And I have done a lot of workshops in people's homes. And I awesome. really like to do that. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you take a class at a culinary school, and it's amazing. But they have, you know, countertops for days, and they have every gadget and, like, you know, it's really, like, as good as it gets, you know. And then you go home and you look at your, like, three inches of counter space. And it's like, well, how the hell can I make anything in here, you yeah. know. And so I had lived, I mean, you remember, I lived in Park Slope for, like, ten years. And that apartment basically didn't have a kitchen. I mean, it was, like, that was one wall that was just essentially, like, they put a kitchen in a closet. And then so I just used my dining room table to roll on you know it's like you can make do with whatever like any flat surface yeah yeah, yeah. will you work need a you know yeah just top. get like a big cutting board that's all you need you know and um and so I wanted to show people that like if I could do that for 10 years as like a really active baker who would bake a pie basically every week that they can bake an occasional pie in their home kitchen and so I would go and you know work with what they had and you don't you know and I also always show people how to make it by hand because, you know, as much as, like, the Cuisinart is super fast and it's great, it actually does give you a sort of, like, platonic ideal of what a pie crust should look like. Mm-hmm. It's also good to know how to do it by hand because it's more, I feel like it's a little bit more meditative and zen a process when you're, like, really get your hands in there. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I feel like that's where the sort of tradition is and the craft. Um, and it's easy. I mean, you can do it with night. You know, table uh, butter knives. You can do it with a fork. You, you know, you don't need all this fancy stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my book, there's like a whole section on my favorite tools, and but it's like that's because I make pies every day. You yeah. know what I mean? That's I've discovered the things that I love to use, but it's totally optional. I mean, the only thing I honestly, the only thing I ever really feel like people should get is a scale like a kitchen scale that to me is you know flour weigh your flour any anything else it doesn't really matter you don't even need a rolling pin seriously i've rolled like multiple pie crusts with wine bottles totally (laughs) fine um so yeah people get intimidated i think people like don't really you know it's it's totally the opposite of the other things that it seems like people are more comfortable making like pasta or bread mm-hmm. it's completely the opposite you want to handle it in the com- like a completely opposing way wow. so you know whereas with bread or pasta it's all about like kneading the hell out of it until it's super elastic it's like that will Bringing be the, the worst pie crust ever yeah. exactly so you know it's just like once you kind of understand the basic science behind it and also once you understand that like you just need to add way more butter than you think it's totally, it's totally fine. You know, I've never had any students feel like their pies didn't turn out well. So it's wow. just, you know, you just need the right recipe and a little patience with yourself. That's really, you know, people are just, I think, too demanding of themselves. And I don't get that when it's something that you're not skilled at or a pro at. You know, it's like it takes, there's a learning curve. Yeah. I look at the pies that I was making, you know, 
five years ago, even like three years ago when I first started the business, four years ago now, and they don't look nearly as good as the ones that I'm making now. You know, just looking at them, I'm like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's like intensive study hall, you know, like, it's like, whereas the recreational baker, you know, maximum would be one pie a week. Right. Whereas, like, I mean, what's, what's, what's the sort of volume that you're baking at right now? I mean, now I would say that we probably make about three dozen s'mores pies every week and maybe, like, two to three dozen of whatever other pies. And that's just the pies. And we're also doing mini cupcakes. We're making ice cream now every week, we gallons and gallons of ice cream. Mm. Um, and you know, then we get weddings and stuff, so that'll up the, you know, the quantity. But I would say, yeah, minimum of five or six dozen pies a week now, Damn. which is, I mean, way more than I ever used to be. And, but I mean, it's great. I mean, now actually I've been so focused on like getting the Kickstarter going and all of this sort of business growth stuff. And Kevy's really taken over the kitchen and it's like, she's oh, making wow. all of the pies and it's nice because. If she, you know, she was out of town last week and I was making a bunch of cupcakes and, you know, we both oh, can totally cool. make each other stuff. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's all very kind of integrated now, which is mm-hmm. really good. Um, and that's the other nice thing about having a partnership is that we can kind of divide and conquer a little bit and not have to both be doing the same thing all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I want to ask, I mean, in closing, um, what, what would be your advice to anybody who wants to try baking a pie but is either completely overwhelmed at the prospect of it or just sort of like, it's just like, I would love to do that, but I don't even know where to start. I mean, apart from buying your book, which has all <laughs> of that information in it, what would you what would you say could be some good pointers or just even like a miniature pep talk to right. those people? Yeah, I mean, I would guess I would basically say that there are, there's sort of a few fundamentals that once you just have them in the back of your head, it's really going to make the whole process a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable. One is that everything should be cold. That mm. just like keeps the gluten down and your end result is just automatically going to be better. Um, the other is that the more fat there is, the better it'll taste. The other is that <laughs> the other is that you might want to almost double the amount of salt or sugar that they're calling for in the recipe. Dep- unless it's my recipe. Yes, unless it's your recipe. <laughs> um, for the crust, you know, not necessarily for, definitely not for the filling. Um, and, I mean, really I think it's about, you just want to touch it as little as possible. When you think it's not ready, it probably is. It should look like it's about to fall apart. It might mm. be falling apart a little bit. Let it chill out in the fridge for like an hour. It'll kind of magically come together. Um, and... If it starts falling apart while you're rolling it, just, like, patch it together. It's not going to matter. You can even press it together on the pie plate. Like, it's not as unforgiving as people think. Mm -hmm. Um, But the biggest thing, I think, to bear in mind is that no matter what you think of it when it's done, if you present that pie to anybody, they're going to think it's amazing. Because people think that you're amazing if you can make a pie, <laughs> like they really do. Mm-hmm. And so it may look like a disaster to you, but a homemade pie from anyone is like the best gift that you can give. And I also think 
um, you know, people like rustic. So while you may think it looks wonky, you just, it's rustic. <laughs> it's rustic. It's rustic. <laughs> exactly. But it's lopsided. It's rustic. Going. No, it's rustic. totally. Rustic is like, you know, <laughs> that's the magic word that takes everything from, you know, disaster to, <laughs> to intentional. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it goes from being an accident to on purpose. Oh <laughs> Just Lord. call it rustic. I love that. I love that. This has been awesome. Thank oh, you honey, so thank much. thank you for oh having me. This is so fun. I just love getting to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. And all the better for everyone to profit from listening to this. I mean, not only buying your beautiful book once it comes out, again, on Pi Day, March 14th, which has now been forever emblazoned <laughs> in my brain. Now, where where can people find you on the magical interweb? So we are at butterandscotch.com. It's all spelled out. And then on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Drunk Bakers. Uh, and same with Facebook. It's facebook.com slash drunkbakers. I, I cannot recommend your Instagram feed to people enough. <laughs> that just, it's like, I mean, apart from like all the cats and naked women that are on my Instagram feed. I love feed, your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's then also, it's suddenly, it's like, oh my God, like, you know, like my, my favorite was the, the shot of, um, was it Heavy or you or one of your women who works with you? The apron, it looked like Friday the 13th because you'd just been picking oh, the cherries. Oh, the cherries. Yeah, I took that of Kevy. Okay. Oh, my God. Pinning <laughs> cherries is – I love cherry season because cherry pies are so beautiful. But, oh, my God, they are such a pain in the ass. Like, pitting, you know, 50 pounds of cherries, like, there's nothing that's going to make you lose your mind quicker. I mean, it's I was just... going to say, how many cherries are in one pound, would you say? I mean like... – Fifteen, uh, twenty. I would say. Well, you basically the rule of thumb is two pounds of fruit for every pie. Okay. Um, and so you want two pounds of pitted cherries for every pie, which is probably I would say about two or three quarts of cherries. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. It's a total. It's a. It's a. By the time it, they're on their way out, we're happy to see them go. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, but also, I mean. I can't wait for this book to come out. I Thank can guarantee you. I can't you. To give you one. Oh, I will happily. My God, just like just looking through it is like the the most delicious porn ever. <laughs> oh my lord. Um, but anyway, Allison, thank you so much. I wish you, you success, luck, and absolute realization of your and Kevin's dreams beyond the dreams you can even begin to think about. And I hope that people order your pies and sweets from all around the world. Um, and that FedEx blesses you, with, uh, <laughs> you know, a great rate. <laughs> yeah, right? I right know. That would be nice. <laughs> oh, thank you, sweetie. Thank you so, so much. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to my episode with the wonderful Allison Cave. I have some wonderful news. Since we recorded this episode back in early October of 2013, uh, Allison and Kevy have launched and absolutely successfully completed their Kickstarter campaign. So keep your eyes out for the Butter and Scotch Brick and Mortar uh, establishment coming to Crown Heights hopefully as soon as 2014. Very, very cool. Congrats, Allison and Kevy. You guys really deserve this. For those of you who want to check out Allison and Kevy and all of their delicious confections online, uh, you can start by visiting Allison's website at firstprizepies.com. 
You can check out butterandscotch.com for all of their delicious concoctions. Uh, soon again, coming to Crown Heights. You can also check out Allison's Mom's Shop, which is now open on the Lower East Side in New York City at ronnie-sue.com. And that's spelled R-O-N-I hyphen S-U-E dot com. The shop is called Ronnie Sue's Chocolates, and I unequivocally recommend the pig candy along with absolutely everything else. And last but not least, you can check out Allison's incredible brother Corwin by doing a search for him at Corwin Cave. Again, that's C-O-R-W-I-N, last name spelled K-A-V-E. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing to the table another fantastic guest next week. 